So today, um, I want to share a little bit with you about worship in Babylon. We've been in a series that we started out with Daniel, and we transitioned from Daniel to worship in Daniel's time. Today, we're going to talk about worship in Babylon. If you've not studied much about Babylon, uh, Babylonian history, uh, basically, it's also called the Chaldeans. It's different words, different translations of your Bible. But, but the Babylonian Empire, which ruled and reigned, and they overtook Jerusalem and Israel, um, they were definitely not um, the goody two-shoes of the region. You know what I'm saying? They weren't like, they didn't go to Sunday school, they didn't eat the graham cracker and the orange juice and that kind of thing, learn about Jesus. They didn't do all that stuff. This was not Sunday school material. This was more like um, never been to church material, but even on the other side of things, they were just complete pagan culture. What I mean by that is they worshipped everything from idols. They they sacrificed in unique ways and different ways. They had temple worship that was not based upon idols. They had temple prostitution that they were. It was really crazy. There was a lot of weird stuff there, a lot of odd things. And they came in and they basically ran over Israel, took Daniel and the three Hebrew boys you know as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego captive, and they set up shop in Israel. And the thing about it is when Daniel saw this and, and all the other, they were just the four that were mentioned, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They're just four guys that were mentioned. There were many, many others that were taken. But they were indoctrinated, if you will, into the culture of the Babylonian Empire. And what you see is this. Whenever you see something for the first time, it's like shock. But if you are exposed to a little bit over time, if you grew up in, in the Babylonian era and their empire, you would not have noticed how paganistic you were. But if you had been dropped in like Daniel was, eyes would have been open. No wonder you was praying out the window three times a day. Man, you're like, ah! It's like, ah! I can't look at anything. It's crazy, right? So if you've ever been overseas, if you ever get the opportunity to do so, I would challenge you, first of all, to get outside of your comfort zone from your city. If you grew up in this city, I'm not picking. I just want you to hear me for a moment. If you've grown up in this city, you've never taking a drive outside of Floyd County, first step I would ask you to do is to drive, just go to Hartsfield International Airport and go just get you a cup of coffee and just chill out for a couple of hours in the international terminal. You don't have to, you, you can go in there without going to pass security and all, just hang out for a while, just check it all out and see how many people are different than you. There's a whole other world out there besides Rome, Georgia, I hate to tell you. And I'm saying that for all the Romans that grew up around here. You know, if you're just transitioning, you're like, nobody leaves here? Let me tell you something. You'd be shocked how many people do not realize outside of Georgia, there's another state over there somewhere. Like, I mean, don't let this city contain you to think this is all there is. This is not all there is. There's more out there. But if you ever go overseas, it can be quite the culture shock for you. Not because they're wrong. I'm not comparing Babylon, the Babylonian era or the empire with another country. That's not what I'm doing. I'm saying the, the culture is different. It doesn't make it wrong. It's just different. And if all you know is what you see, you would not be, you'd be surprised that there's other things out there. I've been overseas a couple of times. I've been to, in Colombia three different times. My wife, we've been to Jamaica. I've been, uh, when I went to South Sudan, that was a shock for me. I had seen poverty and different things like that, but there were some shocking things, like some different things. Not that it's wrong, just different. Let's show you a couple of things. Right? I got some photos I'll show you that just different than how I'm used to here, right? So let me show you this first and tell you what this is, right? This is, Pastor Steve is over here. If you don't know Steve, he preached for us a couple weeks ago. Wonderful guy. If you don't know Pastor Steve, yes, right. He's a super great friend. And uh, so this is called a staff meeting. 
Now, when we have staff meetings, typically there's coffee, air conditioning. It's in a room. Not there. You have staff meeting under a tree. That's just how you do it. And these are the leaders of the evangelistic team that reach out all across South Sudan. These jokers, man, they are doing it. When I say they do it, they get on motorbikes and travel a couple of hundred kilometers out in the middle of where there is no road and plant churches. I've been out to one. I didn't think we were ever going to get back. But these guys are like heroes. They rock it out. This is the next one. Let me show you this next picture. This was dinner one night. Now, you laugh because you think, okay, well, you have dinner. It's a little goat. Let me tell you, the goat showed up that day, did not know he was going to be on a plate that night. That's how that worked. It was a gift one day, and everybody said, we got goat. <laughs> dinner is served because there's not a lot of food there, right? So next picture, let me show you this. This is me. Look at that. You see the forearms? Just wanted you to see that. I do got a little muscle there. This young man beside me, you don't see the rest of the containers. There's like six or seven containers in this photo. They're five gallons of pop. This is one trip of water. I pumped that thing. I filled up every one of those things. When I was done, I thought, you need more water? Like, I think they need me at the staff meeting. Like, I, I, I mean, it is hard work. But if you want to cook, clean, do anything, that's how you get water. You don't turn on It's not wrong. It's just different. Culture shock for me. What do you do when you go to your house to get water? Sometimes you just let it run and forget about it, right? They pump it here. Totally different. Let me show you another one. You might not know what this is, but it says Steve Holsinger at the top, Jody Haggerty at the bottom. Actually, it says Jody Haggerby. But anyway, that's a whole different thing. Route destination Juba. This is our check-in time. This is our plane ticket. <laughs> I'm not making this up. It gets better, right? Let's look at the next slide. This is the next one. This is my boarding pass. I didn't make that up. That's my boarding pass. Like, it's laminated because when you turn it in, they take it back and they reuse it for the next flight. No name, no expo on it. It's just, here's my boarding pass. Man, people got on that plane with us that I thought, there's no security. There's nothing, right? I mean, I thought... I'm looking at Steve the whole time. He's just as calm as everything, you know, like. It's not wrong. It's just different, right? When you get a boarding pass, what do you get when you go through American flights? Oh, my mercy. They check it, scan it five times, look at your eyeballs, retina scan, like, you know, double check you, like, you know, license, passport, blood, whatever. And one hand, let me just say, it, it was one of the best flights because it was so easy. And I thought, this is so wonderful, right? So let me show this next slide. This is first class. This is a thatch hut. This is me and this is Steve right here. This is Steve. So this is basically where they give you, if, if you're a VIP, you get to sit under the thatch area because it's cooler. Now, they won't even let me in the VIP lounge at Hartsfield, like, unless I pay a whole lot of money for it. These guys, here, here's a seat for you guys. Not wrong, just different. The last one I want to show you is this. Well, actually, two more. This is like what would be the gate. This is where you wait for the airplane. This is the gate. Take a minute for it to sink in. That's right. That's the gate. You're not going to miss the plane because you're going to see it. (laughs) Nobody was there 30 minutes before that plane got there, and all of a sudden everybody showed up. So, And then this is the next one here. This is actually our flight, and that's our airplane, and that is the runway, by the way. That's my friend Steve who, by the way, if you heard him preach about how he walks fast, that's why he's in front of me right there. He does walk fast. I can attest to that. But 
It's not wrong, but it's different. It was a culture shock for me. I remember getting on the plane telling Steve, are you sure about this? He goes, yeah. I was thinking maybe like, oh, no, no problem. It's fine. No, it was just like, yeah. And I looked to the left, I think it was just the guy, the, the steward guy, he's uh, handing out waters, whatever, he's over praying before we take off. And I told Steve, I remember telling him, like, he, this guy's over praying. He said, that's good. It's not, it's not wrong. It's just different. It shocked me. I was shocked beyond. I loved it. loved the whole thing. I'd go back in a minute. But it, it was a shock because I've not seen that type of maneuvering in, in airports and things like that, right? Daniel was dropped into a culture that he was completely shocked by. Comple- if you can imagine... It was nothing like he had ever seen before. And so in Daniel 1, I'm going to read this to you from the message uh, version of the Bible. And I want you to hear the kind of the context. And I'll read a couple of things for you about, about worship in Babylon. Why it's different. Because you, it's not like coming to church here. You, you were taken out of this and you were dropped into a different culture you did not know. You didn't get church like this anymore. You didn't get to worship anymore like this. There's no band. There's no music. There's, you, you might get to pray by the window, little Daniel. That's it. It's all different now. The scriptures say this about Daniel in in chapter 1, verse 1. It says, It was the third year of King Jehoiakim's reign in Judah when King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon declared war on Jerusalem and besieged the city. And the master, verse 2, that's talking about the Lord. Other translations will tell you it's the Lord. Okay, so the master, the Lord handed King Jehoiakim of Judah over to him along with some of the furnishings from the temple of God. They took out the, not just the furnishings, but they took out a lot of the the things like maybe the, 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 the lampstand and the, the, the really the high-end worship pieces, they took that stuff out. And you know anything about the temple and God and the power of the Lord, the ark, how you just didn't mess with some of that stuff. The Lord permitted it. He goes to say that he took these things out. Nebuchadnezzar took the king of the furnishings to the country of Babylon, the ancient Shinar. And he put the furnishings in the sacred treasury. The king told um, this guy, head of the palace staff, to get some Israelites from the royal family and nobility, young men who were healthy and handsome, intelligent, well-educated, good prospects for leadership positions in government. They were perfect specimens. And watch this. And they did what he, and, and indoctrinate them in the Babylonian language and the lure of magic and fortune-telling. Indoctrinate. Why would you have to indoctrinate someone? Because it's such a shock to them, they don't know how to adjust. You can't take someone out of a culture of Christianity and say, tomorrow I'm going to make you a Muslim. That's impossible. Even if they're scared out of their wits, you can't do it. You can't take a Muslim out of Islam and make them a Christian tomorrow. You say, well, yes, you can. Jesus can do anything. I'm telling you right now, you can't do it. They may pray a prayer of faith, but they're not going to be changed immediately. They're going to have to struggle through, wait a minute, what now? I, I, I I I don't need a prayer mat now? Why? They're probably going to struggle with some things. They're probably still going to take some of their beliefs into their new faith. Why? Because that's what they have been taught all their life. And the only way you're going to change someone who gets dropped into a culture that's so new is to indoctrinate them. You can't do it overnight. That's why I say what I say. If you've grown up here, you might be surprised that this isn't everything. You may be surprised that your school that you attend right now isn't the biggest school. You might be surprised to find out that there's a lot more that goes on outside of Floyd County than what you realize. Because this is maybe all you've seen. But the Babylonians said, 
We know we can't convert Daniel and the three Hebrew boys quickly. We'll indoctrinate them. The span was to take three years. Three years. I say that because I'm sure there were people in Israel who wondered why this happened. I'm sure there's people, what's going on? Why did this take place? Well, let me give you a verse, couple of verses of Scripture, and I'll share with you what I think the Lord put on my heart today about this message. 2 Kings 23, verse 36. It says, Jehoiakim, the, the king, was 25 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem for 11 years. His mother was Z, the daughter of P from R. We'll just do like, okay. It's just a lot easier, guys. It's just a lot easier. Verse 37. He did what was evil in the Lord's sight, just as his ancestors did. You want to know why the Babylonians were able to come in and siege Jerusalem? It's because this king decided to do what was evil in the Lord's sight. You'll see this over and over play out. In, you, whenever Israel was conquered, it was because the king, the leaders, those responsible, they begin to follow the people around them. The Canaanites, Hittites, Jebusites, all the Ike families, they followed their paganistic culture, and that opened up the door. It doesn't mean that God came in and did it. It means that God permitted it. The Hebrew, the cause in the Hebrew tense, if you read Scripture and understand Hebrew, Hebrew is not like God sent the plague. God permitted the plague. That's why you see things like this. If you follow me, if you adhere to my covenant, I will not, watch this, permit any of these diseases to come upon you as I did the Israelites in your day. He's saying it's permitted. It's God is not sending many times, but he does remove his hands and say, listen, if that's what you want, that's what you get because you have free will. So they were overtaken because the king and the culture decided they would wanted to be like the pagans instead of who God called them to be. The Bible is very interesting about this. Do you realize just two generations before him, or actually one, rather, because he had a brother that was a king, too, that was just as bad as he was. But his daddy, do you know who this guy's daddy was? King Josiah. If you don't know anything about King Josiah, let me just give you a little taste about who he is. The Bible says in 2 Kings 23 and verse 25, never before had there been a king like Josiah who turned to the Lord with all of his heart, with all of his soul, with all of his strength, obeying all the laws of Moses, and there's never been a king like him since. King Josiah was a righteous king. Man, that joker, if you read about him, he came in, he tore down the shrines, he kicked out the pagans, he cleaned house. I mean, the temple was spotless. It was worship for God again. But his sons, it was strange. It's almost like they didn't, it's almost like they didn't really, it's almost like he didn't really respect it. Maybe that's not the right word. Maybe like, oh, it's not that big a deal. Almost like, well, it's just, a, it's just a golden lampstand. Does it really have to stay lit all night long? Is it that important to God? What's the big deal if you let one or two of them go out? I mean, it's just oil. We'll put some in the morning. Guys, it's late. Come on, let's go to bed. It's not that big a deal. It's funny how that when you, if you're not careful, the culture around you, just, just hang in there with me a moment. I'm going somewhere with this. The culture around you can begin to convince you it's just not that big a deal. I mean, I know, I know the Bible says, how many times have you heard this, but you just don't understand. I think God loves me anyway. Come on, am I the only one that's heard these conversa conversations, right? I'm not the only one, right? right? 
But you just don't understand what it was like growing up in my house. It was like this, and so that's why I'm the way I am. And so therefore, God loves everybody, doesn't he? I think it's okay because, after all, I don't know if all that Bible stuff is really true. The reality is, whether we believe it or don't believe it, that's not the point. The point is, God sets the standard and expects his people to not be perfect, but to adhere to his standards. If he says, light the lamp and keep it burning all night, then bless the Lord. We ought to keep the lamp burning. Come on, somebody, right? I mean, isn't that true, right? The Revelation, the book of Revelation talks about this, that, that Jesus told the churches, hey, man, if you'll get your stuff straight, I'm going to come in. I'm going to what? Remove the lampstand, which is the anointing from your presence. Let me tell you right now, I'm not doing this without that. If that ever happens, you got to get a new pastor. I'm out. I am out of this gig immediately because without that, there is nothing else. Nothing else matters to me without that. It's, it's too high a price to pay. Without the anointing, nothing works. Nothing works. But do you know how many people in Christianity today says, oh, I mean, Pastor Jody, it's not that big a deal. I mean, does it really matter about that in the Bible? Don't you understand? Watch this. Times have Oh, you've heard it too. So if you're not cautious, here's what's going to happen. The times around you, because it's not sudden, you didn't just fly over to South Sudan and say, whoa, we don't have a boarding pass. This is different. Because you weren't dropped into a culture completely against Christianity like the Babylonians. You've been slowly cooking like a frog in cool water. And the heat has been turned up just a little bit. You're still swimming like a little froggy. Kermit and the frog, you know, just nothing, no big deal. But the water's heated up so much so now that sometimes Christians can't tell the difference between boiling water and the cool water because it's happened slowly over a period of time. No longer is the Bible considered to be the valid point of truth. It's what do I think or what do I feel. That's what's important, and that's what I will do. That's exactly what happened to Israel. Let me ask you a question. Haley and I were talking about this the other night. We like certain uh, shows just like everybody else does. And, and it, it's, it's amazing to me how things have been woven into certain programming. And all of a sudden it's there and it's like, what? where did that come from? Like that's totally out of left field. Like, wow, I'm surprised at that. And then it happened again. And then commercials have done it. And I thought, whoa. But then it happens enough where you're like, wow. Pretty soon it happens enough where you're like, you don't see it. Because what happens is slowly to indoctrinate you into a set of beliefs that are more likened to Babylonian than they are Christian. So how do we, how do you cope? How do you worship in Babylon? Because I'm telling you right now, if you don't know what I'm talking about, if if you're not aware, if you're not tracking me right now, then you definitely need to get out. I'm just saying you need to open your eyes a little bit, wake up to the world around you because it is not the Bible Belt anymore around here like you think it is. If you think that, oh, man, everybody in Rome, Georgia is saved, you're wrong. We've done the math. The pastors in the seat, we've already done the math. We know the seats. We know the numbers. We know how many people go and don't go. On average, we already know. Look, let me tell you right now, there's far less on Sunday morning worshiping today than there were 15, 20 years ago. If you think that that's wrong, if you think I'm wrong, come hang out with us. I'll show you the math. We know. 
there are more churches closing today. I'm not trying to give you all bad news. I'm going to help you in a moment. But then, then, then are growing today. Do you know why? It's not because you don't, you're here to worship. It's not you. Listen, the culture around you, though, I want you to hear this, doesn't want to hear about God. Not everybody. I'm saying the culture. You know who's behind the culture, right, is the enemy. He's saying, he's like the puppet master. He's kind of controlling things here. Let's do this. Let's do that. Make them think that. Make them feel this. Make them do, oh, and then they won't believe this. They won't believe that. And then slowly we can pull away the belief system that they need to trust in God. It's Babylon. So how do I worship in Babylon or Babylon? Here's the thing that I want you to hear from Proverbs. Proverbs 29.2 says this. When the godly are in authority, the people rejoice. But when the wicked are in power, they groan. Hands down, if you go to the regions and other countries, that's why wicked rulers and dictators, people want them out. No one likes a wicked ruler. No one. No one. People rejoice when there's the righteous are in charge because they make things better for everybody. Don't allow, let me say this, don't allow the culture to indoctrinate you. Be aware of what's going on around you. Don't let them indoctrinate you. Don't leave the core of your beliefs for what is popular because you're afraid they're going to talk about you because you believe in prayer or you believe in marriage or because you believe in, you know, Jesus. Stand, but be, you don't have to be rude, but be confident in what you believe. I have this belief, and this is, I can't prove this part, but I, I'll just tell you what I, I believe this. I believe that the scripture says that greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. That means that what you believe is greater power than the indoctrination that's happening out there in the world right now. I believe that. I believe that when you walk into the room, if you believe that Christ is in you, which is the hope of glory, if you really believe that Jesus is with you, I believe when you walk into the room, light walks with you. And the Bible says that the darkness cannot comprehend, it can't overtake the light. When you walk in, it's like the parting of the Red Sea. But if you don't believe that, if you believe that you're the weaker one, then I promise you the people around you feel the same way. When I walk into a room, here's what I think. Jesus is with me. I'm not going to be pushed around by darkness. The light is within me. Jesus is with me. And guess what? When there's two or three of you that are getting together in my name, that's when he says, I show up in a big way. Well, look around the room in here. There's a whole, that's why you feel stronger when you're at church than when you're on your own at work. Because when you're in here, he's with you in a greater way. He's with you everywhere you go. But when you assemble together, he's here. It's not just something we made up. It's from the Bible, yes. But just because it's in the Bible doesn't make it true. It's true before it was ever printed in the page. That's what Jesus says. So what do you do? How can we prevent the culture from indoctrinating us? And what can we do about it? Here's something I think that's, when I say this, you're going to think, oh, I've heard this before. Immediately, that's what you're going to think. Oh, I've heard this before. Okay, I know that. Just know that I know that already. But is it possible that because you already know it and you've heard it before, that the enemy could even take that and say, well, you already know this and don't do anything with it? So, have you ever gotten lost <clears throat> and you've used a, on your phone the little GPS thing? You ever gotten lost? 
And so there's a place on 75. Most of the time you can get off on off, the off ramps and stuff. I've had friends that have flown in and come, and they hate driving Atlanta. I was like, well, welcome to the state, bro. We, no one I know loves driving on I-75. It's just a, it's a necessary evil is what it is. You know what I'm saying? You, just, you have to get there so you go there. And, but there's a spot that most places you can get off on an exit, but there is a section of road in 75. If you ever miss this one exit, you can drive. It will take you 30 minutes because there's not another one. You'll watch the overpasses. Why didn't they put one here? You keep driving. Five miles down the road, here, there's not one here. Where's the, over, where's the ramps? There's not one. So your GPS does this. It recalculates, it recalculates, it recalculates, but if there's a place where you can't exit, what does it eventually say? Turn around. I hate it when she says that. I hate it. I want to argue with her. Come on, please. Calculate another way. Calculate another way. There's not another way. Turn around. Oh, it drives me crazy. But that's exactly what God is, I think, asking all of us to do. So 2 Chronicles 7.13 says, again, think about this from the standpoint of God and how he permits things. Okay? At times I might shut up the heavens so that no rain falls. What he's saying is I may withhold this because of what's going on around you. Or I may command or I may permit the grasshoppers to devour your crops or permit the plagues among you or send the plagues among you. But he says this, when you see these things happening, when the grasshoppers are devouring your fields, when the culture around you seems to be destroying every possible moral belief system, that you look and go, how, I mean, how is it possible that a human being can say, I want to put a bill on the table that proposes, it's bad enough that we have it on the books for abortion, but how can we put it on the books and say, I'm going to propose this that says basically um, the baby is pretty much out of the womb and then still qualifies for an abortion. How is that possible? It's because a culture has indoctrinated someone so long that they're fooled by their own foolishness. So what does God say to us? When you see that happening, He's saying, turn around and here's what you do. If my people, come on, somebody look around and say, I am his people. All right, this is talking to you right now. For the most of us in this room, that's you. If my people, God's always had a people, always had a remnant. He said, if my people, watch this, will humble themselves, who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face. And watch this, do what? And turn from their wicked ways. I'll hear from heaven and I'll forgive their sins. And then it's so beautiful. I will restore their land couple of things I want you to hear about this just briefly. Next couple of minutes. Number one thing he says about this. You say, I've heard this before. I promise you in this whole message right here, when I give you these four things, what he says. He says, first of all, you're going to humble yourself. You're going to pray. You're going to seek him, and you're going to turn. Four things he says in this verse of Scripture. I'm going to give them to you very quickly. But there is one reason why a culture will not do this. And see if you pick it up. Just see if you pick this up. There's only one reason why. First thing he says is, humble yourself. Guys, can I just be, let's shoot straight this morning. I'm a pastor, and I see the best of the best, and I see the worst of the worst. A lot of families could be spared pain if they just humble themselves. That lady over there, I love, look, this little woman over here, she preached last night. I love her with all my heart, with all my heart. I mean, I love Jesus more than she knows that. I have to, he's got to be first. I can't even love her. But I love her so much. Do you know something? We disagree sometimes, but you know what? I would have used to 
fought every, I'm the kind of guy you don't want to get in an argument with because I will win. I'll straight up tell you that right now. You may think it's arrogant. That's why I will win. I know I'll win. Don't mess with me. If I really want to, I can argue with you and I will win. My family told me growing up, you should have been a lawyer. Like, you should have been an attorney. I got a middle one that's just like me. You know what I'm saying? Like just, so it's fun to watch. But you know what I found? Some things aren't worth arguing over. She's more important to me. And so sometimes, you know what? I might be right about something, but it doesn't even matter. <laughs> Do you know what I'm saying? I just, that doesn't sound very humble, but I, I humble myself. I learned a long time ago that I thought I was right about every directional move I made until she has this like inner compass thing. And I would say, no, it's not right, it's left. And she goes, I'm telling you, you turn right. No, it's left. And she go ahead. And we get lost so many times. Finally, I just felt like it's not fair. And now when she says, I kind of try my best to listen, I'm like, Really, you think it's, you think it's, okay, let's go. Because I've gotten lost so many times without, marriages could just humble. Does it really matter? Does it really, really matter? So what, he wants to buy a truck. If he can afford it, who cares? Does it matter? Guys, does it matter if she wants to go out with her friends or whatever, hang out? Does, she, does it matter if she wants to redecorate your house? Does it matter if she, what, who cares? Does that stuff really matter? I mean, if you can afford it, what does it matter? But people get in the fights over the stupidest things. You know why? Because they will not humble themselves. The Bible says, humble yourselves. First Peter says, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God so that he might exalt you in due time. Humility is the number one thing, in my opinion, in my opinion, is the number one thing to to, to sacrifice and to redeem relationships. Friends, fight over the dumbest things. I'm not talking, I'm talking about Christians. Refuse to humble. Just humble. Who cares? Does it matter? If it's not unethical, ungodly, immoral, or, or you know, just one of in these, those big areas, does it really matter? It's not worth it. It's not worth it. Just humble. And he says this. He says, pray. Right? You're going to pray. He says, basically, prayer is the next step. Because you won't pray if you don't humble yourself. Because you don't think you need help. I was praying before I started this message. I thought, God, I'm ashamed to even tell you this, but I'm going to tell you this anyway. I, I don't know how many times I've probably just preached without stopping to pray and say, hey, would you, would you just bless what I'm about to say or would you give me the words to speak? My personality is not, I, I'm one of those that's, I'm going. God, if you tell me to stop, I'll stop. But I'm going until you say stop. That, that's my personality. Maybe you don't have that kind. That's cool. Maybe you're one of those, like, I'm waiting until he says go. That's cool too. But I'm just... How many times I've just jumped up and preached and not even stopped to say, hey, God, would you just bless or would you correct or would you adjust what you want me to say today? You know why? Because that's called not humbling yourself. If you don't humble yourself, you won't pray, right? So prayer isn't telling God about our realities, but it's aligning with his realities. Don't think about that. It's not telling God what you want as much as it's adjusting our lives to him, right? Then he says, seek, seek after him, his righteousness and how he instructs us. This is basically how you examine your own life and how you're doing stuff. This is where you look at what you're in your own life, if you're, if you're in any areas of compromise or conviction. I want to seek God in his ways. This shuts down that cultural indoctrination. Because if I humble myself and I pray and ask for God's help, 
The next thing I'm going to do is I'm going to seek his face. And sometimes when I seek his face, he looks at me and says, hey, what you're doing is not right. And I go, but it's, I don't want to have a bad attitude. Like, I want to be mad right now. Come on. It's not fair. It doesn't matter. He does that to you, right? Convictions, compromise. He'll adjust some stuff. And you'll be forced to stand in a place where maybe it's not so popular. But Psalms 139 says, search me, O God, know my heart. Test me, know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything, O Lord, that offends you. Anything, God, that offends you. And lead me along the path of everlasting life. That means I'm going to humble myself. I'm going to pray. I'm going to seek God's face. And God, if there's anything in me that offends you, I'm willing to change, God, if you'll show me. Come on, it gets scary. This is, it, that gets a little scary, doesn't it? Because at that point, it no longer demands, it's no longer about what you want or I want. It's about what he wants. And the last thing he says is, turn. He's simply to turn around, to turn back from our ways that we've learned or been indoctrinated to, to look back and say, that's, wow, look how far, of course, I've gotten. Look how far, man, I need to, I need to walk back, take that 30-minute drive back because there's no other way around. I've got to turn back, right? And he says, when we do that, <clears throat> I will hear and I will heal. We can do this in families. You can do this in your own life. Personally, across the board, it's a simple prayer. And isn't it true that you've already heard this before? Come on, raise your hand if you've heard this prayer before. Of course you have. Some of you didn't want to participate. That's okay. I got you. That's cool. You're probably thinking, right? That's what it was. You're thinking about it. We've all heard this, but isn't it what James, I think James said it something like this. It's, See if you can help me out with that. I think it's um, it's not what you hear that really matters. It's what you do. It's not the hearing of the word. Hearing of the word brings faith. Yes, it does. But it's not just in hearing and hearing and hearing, getting spiritually built up. It's in actually doing something with what we've heard. That James says, you, you say you got faith? I'll show you my faith by what I do. Right? So this morning, let me throw out the one thing here. I'll ask our worship team to come up. While they do, I want you to see if you've caught the one thing, the one reason why we won't do this prayer. In this room, in this region, in this city, this nation, this culture, the world, what is the one reason why you think people would not take the time to do what God said? If my people would just humble, just humble, just pray, seek my face and turn. What is the one reason why? I'm going to give it to you right here. It's called control. It's the number one reason. You know when I counsel or give spiritual guidance to people, do you know the number one reason why things don't work out in the conversation? Whether it be a marriage, a friendship, a family, do you know the number one reason why? It's because one person in the group wants control and they refuse to let go of their control and therefore there is no progress in the conference. I hate to tell all of us this this morning, but we're really not in control. I wish, I, I'm one of those kind of, am I the only one in here that's kind of a control freak? Anybody else in the room? Come on, you admit your sin right now. Be bold, come on. If you're a control freak, you need prayer today. Raise your hand, raise it up high. Come on. The reason you didn't raise your hand is but the rest of you guys is because you, you don't want to help. That's what it is. You're still in control. You're like, I'm not raising my hand because you told me to. So, done with that. 
control. We, you need prayer because you're, you're not really in control at all. You're not in control of your heartbeat. Do you know that? The air that enters your lungs and expels out, do you know that you're not in control of that? Your blood pressure, you can't fix that. Like how much medicine you take, you might adjust it. But in it all, you're not in charge of anything related to the life of your body. But you've been given life through Jesus Christ. And all he's saying is, if you'll give me your life completely, man, I can do something with you that you might have thought impossible before by just giving up control. It's this prayer that Jesus said in Luke 22. He said, Father, remove this cup from me, but please, it's not what I want. It's what you want, Jesus. Come on, so is there a prayer right now today? You're here and you say, man, look, Pastor Jody, and everyone in this room, all of us should pray something today. There's an area of your life that you have control over, and today you need to humble yourself. You need to pray, seek God's face, and turn and let go and release. Maybe it's a child. I hate to tell you this, but I've learned i got three. Um, you can control when they're three, but as they get older, you're not going to make them do everything you want them to do. And you say, well, you just want to discipline. I don't care how much you discipline. You cannot force a child to do everything. That's why God tells us to instruct our children. There's a difference. Come on, there's a marriage in here right now. You're trying to control it, and you need to let it go. You're trying to dominate the thing. You're trying to control it. You're trying to be in charge of it. You're trying to, it's going to be my way. Kind of, no, 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 no. Marriage is a two-way street. Technically, both of you wear the pants, if you really want to know the truth. It's like a three-legged race, man. One of y'all's got one foot in, and the other's in. And that's why it's so awkward sometimes, because you got to walk together. You can't win the race if you're not on time with each other. Come on, so right now, right where you are, I'm going to pray. But I feel in my heart so strongly today, it was about control. There's some of you in this room, you, this is the breakthrough for you, is to release control today. In some area, maybe it's your job. You think... They should fix stuff and do this this way and do it that way. But you're not in charge of it. They're just asking you to do your job. Man, let it, let it go. So right now in this room, just close your eyes by your head right where you are. Come on, we're going to pray that God would help us today. We're going to humble ourselves first of all. Lord Jesus, in the name of Christ, I pray, help us to humble ourselves right now. God, you can't force us to do this. And so in the name of Jesus, I pray we would all just humble ourselves right now. In our marriages, we would humble ourselves. Come on, we'd humble ourselves right now, God. If you really love that spouse that you have right now, you would humble yourself. And you would let go of some of that stuff that's bugging you. If you really love that person, if you really, really want that thing to work, humility is going to have to be the answer on your part. There's some people in here right now in your job, you need to humble yourself because you're not in charge of that. God didn't put you in authority there. So you don't have any business trying to make them do what you want them to do. You're there to serve, to be a blessing, to honor, to be a light there. You're here right now, you're trying to control your kids. You're trying to make them be this because maybe you think that's best for them. And I'm telling you right now, you can't make them. You can instruct them. You can teach them. You can guide them. But they've got to begin to make their own choices. And you've got to release some control. It doesn't mean you let them do whatever they want to do. It just simply means they might not go to the school you want them to go to. They may have a different personality. They might go this direction for God versus where you want them to go, and that's okay if God's in it, but you're going to have to let go of your will and let God's will reign over their life. Come on, humble right now. Let's just humble ourselves. Lord, in the name of Jesus, we pray. We pray and we release our control to you today.
the control of our lives, the control of our, 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 our marriages, our families, our jobs, our kids. We, we release control of everything to you right now. And we surrender anew today to you. We turn to you and we ask you to heal, Lord, to deliver, to, to redeem in the name of Jesus. And Lord, I pray if there's anybody here that doesn't know you today, they're here, they don't know Christ. They've never made a decision for Jesus, but this culture has told them it's not real, it's not possible, this is not necessary. I'm praying the conviction of the Holy Spirit today. Lord, you would speak to their hearts and remind them, Lord, how much you love them, that you gave your only son for them. So if you're here and you say, I don't know Jesus, Pastor Jody, I want to pray that prayer. While every eye is closed, heads are bowed right now, we're going to pray together as a church. But you need to accept Jesus in your heart, right where you are. Everybody in this room, we're going to pray this prayer together and repeat this after me. Say, Dear Jesus, I come before you. I give you my life. And I surrender control of my life to you. I ask you to forgive me and to cleanse me of all unrighteousness. I surrender, Lord. And I ask you to be my Lord, to be my Savior, in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. Well, man, if you prayed that prayer, we're so proud of you, right, church? Come on, give me a hand. Would you there?